All right, guys, welcome to today's show. And today on the show with me, I've got a great friend of mine, Tony Khalil. Tony has been a friend for, gosh, probably 10 years now. Uh, we've hunted all sorts of things together. And Tony has really made a name for himself in the videography industry. He has filmed for places like Bass Pro Shops, True Timbers, major bass tournaments. The guy's kind of done it all, and he is very talented. Um, you need to go check him out after this show. Check out the work that he produces because it really is out of this world. Aside from that, the guy's just a legend. I heard stories long before I ever knew Tony. Stories of him diving down in a lake with a knife in his mouth and coming up with a catfish on the end of that knife. I've seen firsthand some of the shots that he's taken at birds flying by. Typically, Tony's the first one to shoot because he's just that quick with a shotgun. Or he's the last one to shoot because he knows when people like me miss, he can always clean it up at a much farther range. I've seen him shoot birds with a 20 gauge at 60 plus yards, and I have a lot of witnesses that could back that up. But either way, he's a super good dude, very credible when it comes to videography and especially videoing wildlife, hunting, fishing, all of that stuff. So I hope you guys enjoy the show. I hope you can put some of the stuff you hear today to use. I know I will be, as this is one of the first years that I will be taking self-filming seriously. And I'm going to try to put a lot of it to use when it comes to the mountain goat hunt. So I'm only a few days away now from heading out to Colorado on that mountain goat hunt. I know you guys are probably sick of hearing about it, but I am bringing my camera along with me. It's just a nice little, like, pocket handy cam deal from Sony, but he's shown me some cool settings on it, and I hope to put the knowledge to use on that hunt. So look forward to more content coming from that. Look forward to some links to gear that you could check out after this show, and please join me now in welcoming my good friend, Tony Khalil. Like, he was doing things that were just badass. That was one of the coolest moments of my life. I was really scared, but knowing that Dan had the gun, I did have the rifle, like, we would be okay. All right, guys, welcome to the show, and with me now is Tony Khalil, one of my great hunting buddies and one of the best dudes that I know, and we're going to be talking a lot about videography. Tony is a first-class videographer. He's worked for some pretty big companies as well as he's filmed for us just when we're out hunting, scouting. If you listened at all to the second podcast with Sean and Tony, we talked a little bit about videoing during scouting. Um, but we're going to go a little bit more in depth trying to figure out how you all can get better shots while you're out in the field. So welcome to the show. Thanks, Dan. Yeah, man, glad to be here. Uh, round two for us, so it was a ton of fun. Uh, hearing about Sean's story again with you and just kind of recapping on that. So I'm super excited about your guys' next adventure. I guess it's coming up pretty soon, right? Yeah, I leave for that on Thursday. And so we'll be up a couple days early. That'll give us time to hike in. I think we're hiking in about 10 miles, a thousand foot elevation change, just to get up right at tree line. And then we'll set up base camp and go from there. Jeez, I hope you've been uh, putting some miles in because that's going to wear you out. Man, I I was putting miles in. I was hiking five miles a day with 50 pounds in my pack, and I have kind of dropped off. I know it's going to be a butt kicker out there. Well, you know, it kind of reminds me of one of the um, 
hunts that I went on, a shoot that I went on a couple years back um, when I was working for Bass Pro Shops. We actually did um, an elk hunt with the Dude Perfect guys. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I was with Cody Jones. Uh, he's the big tall guy. If you guys know anything about Dude Perfect. And then another one of my friends with, with um, oh my gosh, why did I just forget his name? The other guy, the big red monster guy. So um, anyways, <clears throat> however, basically they told me we we're going to do this shoot like, oh, maybe a week to two weeks before. And oh, I was wow. like, okay, where are we going? So we were heading up kind of near Steamboat Springs area in Colorado to a place called Motherwell Ranch. And uh, basically, they have like I want to say eight thousand acres of high fence, which we did not hunt, and then they have like ten thousand acres of free range that butts up to uh, I think freaking Shenandoah or one of the national forests south that way. I don't think it's Shenandoah. That's actually uh, in Wyoming. But anyways, I was like, oh man. So talking about conditioning, so yeah. I really just I just literally just started running. Yeah. And so I just started running as much as I could until my legs just gave out, and I think I was doing like. Three and a half to five miles with uh, like a 30-pound pack because typically I try to pack out on the elk hunts with – I try to keep it below 30 if I can. Um, and But a lot of times it ends up being about 45. Okay. There's all the camera gear. Oh, I can't imagine. Too. Yeah. You got tripods bouncing around and everything else, several different types of lenses, um, all that, but you're just you know trying to keep up with these dudes. This particular guy, Cody Jones, I'm only like 5'11", and Cody's like 6'4". And the guy's got a long stride, and he's ready to go. So uh, we show up, uh, I want to say, yeah, we show up. We're supposed to, like, get there that night, sleep, and then hunt the next morning. Well, they're, like, ready to go. It's yeah. too perfect. They're always ready. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they run a 1,000 miles an hour all yeah, the time. Yeah, crazy. And so, anyways, they're like, guys, let's go hunting tonight. And we're like, okay. <laughs> so we just load our stuff up really fast. The The guides were kind of like not necessarily ready, but they were like, we'll just take on a couple of hunts, get a little bit of a ground underneath them, get them acclimated. And so we literally got to the, uh, hit the airport, grabbed our tags, went to the lodge, put all our gear on as quickly as possible, put everybody in the right clothes because they were doing stuff with uh, True Timber Camo at the time as oh, well. Because cool. that's one of the camo companies that Bass Pro or Johnny Morse has uh, stock in. Not stock, but he has some ownership on some of that. So anyways, got everybody ready, and we just took off. It was like, okay, now we're, I think, what's that, 8,900 feet up that way? So you went from 800 feet That's here. That's right, in Missouri, to... <laughs> 8,900. And thank God I ran. And yeah. so, anyways, so I would I would just say, Dan, you might want to just go run your... Run your run yourself a little bit, and it'll help you. So. Yeah, I've been trying to do a bunch of lunges just yeah. to get ready for those uphill climbs. Because right. I know where we're at. I mean, it sounds like the plan is going to be to glass from the valley that we're camping in. Okay. And hopefully we'll get eyes on some goats from there. Yeah. And then the real work That's starts right. to get up to their level. Yeah, mountain goats a, a total different ball game. Um, there was another hunt that I was I put a bid in for uh, up in Alberta, Canada, for bighorns out that that area, and uh, a buddy of mine named Caleb Copeland, who I'll talk about a little later for you guys on the cast. Um, anyways, he's he kind of put me on the client because he couldn't do it, and honestly, he said the money just wasn't right for him, and he didn't think it'd be right for me. But he was like, "Hey, if you're interested, here you go." And uh, that area was, like, even higher. I think it was at, like, 10.5 or something to start out. And it was, music. I was like, whoo. But I didn't end up going. It didn't, they were not paying enough for me to do it professionally. 
And so I, I climbed out, but I think it was a 15-day hunt out, out there Jeez. with these guys. But I, uh, I kind of kicked myself a little bit for not being able to go, but at the same time, it was the right move. Yeah. Yeah, I'm... I think that's what I'm the most nervous about is the altitude. Living out there for a couple of years, I got pretty acclimated to it. It did take a long time. I wasn't, I wasn't ready for how long it would take. I mean, I was playing basketball every week, yeah. twice a week, and I mean, I'd have a headache for yeah. a full day after playing until probably nine months in. I mean, yeah. it took that long, but we're going to basically be camped out around 10,000 and everything from there is uphill. So well, it'll be an adventure. We can't wait to hear it. That's yeah, right. it should be good. Um, before we dive into the videography stuff, I just want to talk a little bit about some legends that I've heard. Oh and I know they're true because there's plenty of credible sources. But one of the first things that I heard about you, aside from being a skateboarder and like getting guys out at, at the skate park ministry, was that you were at a lake, a campground that we actually both used to attend. And you decided to go in the water after some catfish. Tell us about that story. Well, um, so first off, if you guys <clears throat> heard about the podcast earlier, uh, the first one we had, basically I was saying I was originally from Mississippi, so um, we used to a lot dirtier water, dingier water, stuff like that. And I grew up um, near a lake called Wolf Lake in Yazoo City, Mississippi, Yazoo County area. And it's pretty murky, honestly. Yeah. And I used to dive down as a kid in about 20 foot of water and pull up uh, mussel shells. So I'd just go down there blind, basically, and start reaching for stuff. Um, a couple times in the year when the water, all the runoff, because basically it's all delta land, it'd be a little clearer, so I could see about a foot and a half in front of me. And um, I'd see fish down there. And so I'd always, as a kid, try to do this kind of thing. So when I was up in Missouri at this lake, this is kind of a Highlands Reservoir Lake that they had built for this uh, summer camp, I kept seeing these catfish uh, swimming down in the bottom about 15 feet down. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to try to, like, gig this thing. And so I was in a kayak, <clears throat> and uh, I tried it a couple times that day. and didn't, didn't, really, didn't really have any success, but I had a six-inch fixed-blade knife, basically. And uh, I finally saw some kind of hanging underneath this log. And so I just went down and swam down. I got just drifted right into them, real nice and slow. And then I stabbed this about four-pound catfish right, <laughs> in, right in the side. And uh, I hit him, and I pushed him all the way down in the mud as far as I could, and he came off. And I was like, oh, man, I know I got him because there's, like, blood in the water and pieces of meat and stuff coming off the blade. So I dove down really quick. And sure enough, he was kind of like belly up, kind of like swimming sideways and stuff. So I just grabbed him, came up out of the water, and threw him in the canoe. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it was pretty wild. Uh, <laughs> I would say that's probably my first time to do it with a six-inch blade. I've done a lot of, like, spearfishing and things like that with, like, Hawaiian pole spears and stuff like that. Um, but I've never done it with a six-inch blade. No. And so uh, I was, at the time, I was in a thing called Master's Commission, um, which is basically a nine-month intensive discipleship program that Dan and I both did. We did it at the same time, um, but we uh, had the same kind of crowd anyways. But yeah. I was there, and these people uh, were a mixture of people that probably had never seen anything like that or like really been involved in much of that type of scenario. Uh, anyway, so I pulled it up, and everybody's freaking out, threw them in, the, in there, and then we uh, basically skinned and ate them that night. And it was pretty sweet. But that's... anyways, that's a catfish story. That's amazing. 
Well, I, I mean, between that and then just hearing about how good of a shot you were, oh. and you've got a pretty sick collection of Browning shotguns, and I will say, you've got the advantage over someone like me who's using a hand-me-down shotgun. Those things are smooth to shoot, but I've seen you drop ducks that, I mean, were way out of reach for me, and you'll pull up and one-shot them. Um, you know, I think it really goes back to my parents. I grew up in Mississippi, like I said, and um, I grew up with a shotgun in my hand. And so I had the same Mossberg bolt action 410 with a poly choke on the end of it that my dad actually started shooting in when he was little. Oh, wow. And that's what I started shooting doves with, with a little 410. And so we'd set up, we had a couple uh, dove fields around uh, our property out in Mississippi, and they were our neighbors, and they were totally cool with me out there hunting and stuff. And so I spent most of my uh, September's out in the dove field just shooting birds with that 410. And, um, and so I think because my dad allowed me to, you know, he trained me first in gun safety and things of that nature and then talked to me a lot about um, just getting out and shooting. He's like, Tony, you just got to do it. You just got to do it more and more and more. My dad's also a really good shot um, just because he spent a lot of time out doing it. And yeah. so, um, and not just willy-nilly shooting, but really trying to think about leading birds, where the wind's at, how they're flying, not just shooting at the bird, but really trying to read the bird. It's almost like um, like when you're playing football and you're a quarterback and you're trying to read that player to toss that football right into his hands at the right time. It's a very similar idea. Yeah. And so um, starting off small gauge, shooting a lot, and then moved into 12 gauge when I got a little older. And then actually um, in recent years, I'd say in the last 10 years, I moved back to 20 gauge just because it has a little better shot pattern for me. And I feel like I can connect a lot better with the bird. It's also a lighter gun, typically. Um, the load is, like I said, the patterns on these loads are really good, but the it's not as good as a 28 gauge. 28 gauge, hands down, is the best balanced load there is. But we all know they're super expensive. Yeah. <laughs> uh, especially if you're trying to blast doves. But um, those guys that do shoot those, uh, for instance, like Tony Vandemore, who owns Habitat Flats. I've done some um, shooting out there uh, here in Missouri. That's one of like premier waterfall places in Missouri. Uh, he shoots, a, I think, I believe, a Benelli Ethos 28-gauge quite okay. extensively uh, when he's not shooting his 20-gauge Benelli. I think that's an M2. Okay. And um, anyways, all I have to say is like shotgunning is like my one of my absolute favorite things to do. Like I love shooting birds. And... Um, Honestly, I think getting out there, trying some different gauges, getting out and patterning really helps a lot. And then just shooting a lot of clays and a lot of birds. And just takes a lot of trial and error. But um, as many times that I've, you've seen me hit, I've missed you know previous years just because I, I had to practice. I had yeah. to try it. So anyways, um, that's, that's that. So I've seen you shoot some birds that were way up there. What do you think is your farthest shot with a shotgun? Um... Let's see here. With the 20 gauge, so that time, I think the one you're talking about, because we were out at uh, one of our favorite locations that aren't necessarily profitable all the time, but uh, we were shooting Goldeneye, I think, at the time. Yeah. And um, I want to say that almost close to, probably close to 75 yards, and I'm, I hope it was somewhere in there, but it was out there. Yeah. And, and I was shooting at the time, I had a Beretta Eureka, 26-inch barrel, 20-gauge, and I had a, I believe, a f improved modified on that. Okay. So it was... Real-type pattern. Real-type pattern on it. 
you and were so, able, but I mean, still like just yeah. doing the quick math in your head. Yeah. And that's a number two shot on that. Okay. I probably should have had if, cause they make ones in the 20 gauges too. And that really helps you get out, especially with those divers that are a lot thicker like that. Um, that'll help you a lot. Yeah. But, um, honestly he was, it was an away shot. He was fading to the right and up. And so basically I just trapped him like I was freaking throwing it into the end zone. And I, I guarantee I let, I let him eight feet. Yeah, I remember watching that bird go down, and that's the type of shot that I would take, but I would preface the shot with yelling something along the lines of sky banging or sky blasting, or you see guys take those shots out on public land, and you're just laughing because typically it's all three rounds or multiple guys are shooting all three rounds, and you don't see any feathers, but that was just a one shot, and I mean, it was stoned. It wasn't like wing and go find it in the cattails it was done so here's the deal when you're shotgunning especially with these ducks uh whether on these diver sides um it's all about figuring out where the wind's at if it's at your back and you have a waybird, you have a lot better chance than you have a left or right wind or on face wind because as soon as that wind gets out there um that's why i said i try to keep that two shot it helps me keep a little bit straighter line um but that that shot's going all over the place i mean i've seen like a left or right wind, and I've got a bird heading straight away. I mean, that thing could hook easily, you know, six to eight feet to the left or the right. And you're thinking, oh, I almost had him. I saw my wad. But no, no, it's, yeah. it's way over. you so, got to be good with Kentucky windage if you're going to be yeah, pulling those just, shots. You really, you really got to think about where your wind's at if you're going to pull up and do that. And so it's just a constant thought you've got to keep in your mind if you want to kill those types of long shot birds. Now, again, you know, those are like open lake shots which you and I shoot a lot in, um, whereas in, you know, when you get into like timber and things of nature, it's a lot different ball game because there's just not much wind coming through. Yeah. There is right over the hole, um, typically because that's when the birds are coming in, you got wind over the top of the hole, but it's not that bad when they get in. Yeah. It's, it's a dead kill shot easily. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, we could sit and talk about Tony Khalil legends for a couple episodes, probably. If if I had to describe you as one person or compare you to one person, do you watch Parks and Rec at all? A little bit, yeah. I would say you're like a Ron Swanson. Oh, boy. I mean, that, that'll just give the listeners a little bit better idea of, oh, of the type of guy you are. Um, but let's move on to your professional career because you've shot, I mean, all over the place, all sorts of different stuff. Why don't you just kind of highlight some of the things you've done um, as far as the video side goes, photography side goes, um, with your professional career? Yeah, man. Um, so, basically, uh, I started working for Bass Pro Video Department almost, I want to say almost eight years ago. And I just started off as a grip. And so, that really was a great platform to start off on. And, you know, really this is a testament to the Lord than anything. But, like, I had just come off a ministry, ministry position as a worship pastor and uh, I had passed the baton to another worship leader because we thought it would be better for our church to do that um, because they could do a dual role. And I was like, Lord, I, I feel like this is the right thing to do, but like you gotta, I know you're going to provide, so let me figure out what that's going to be. And so we prayed about it, and sure enough, like it wasn't like three weeks later, I had a out-of-the-blue random opportunity to work for the Brassburg Video Department here in Springfield, Missouri. And so I just... Did as the word says, work unto the Lord and work really hard. And um, they really liked me. And so they offered me a position after that first week. And I was uh, doing a, what they call boat grip uh, and, a, and also a videographer's assistant at that time. 
Uh, we were shooting, um, I believe, Tahoe boats and maybe some Sun Tracker boat product lines at one of the lakes around this area. And um, so anyways, uh, it went really well. And so I um, Lord opened the door and I stepped into telling stories and learning how to tell stories and selling products and shooting video in the entire world of um, video industry and video production. And so that quickly kind of catapulted me into like a different mind frame of like job and and like how I perceive things and things of that nature because I'd been a worship leader for almost 17 years at the time before I stepped into that and I was used to trying to um, create environments you know for people to you know really meet with the Lord in a lot of ways and learning um, dynamics and things of that nature within music and lighting and and also just like serving people from the get-go of like you know we're not here for us we're here yeah. to like point people to Jesus and to worship him as with all that we can you know and so kind of creating an atmosphere or creating a story, so to speak, that kind of points in one direction I was already used to. And I didn't even kind of put two and two together until, you know, a year or so got into video and I was like, oh, okay. And it's so, cool to see training like that. Yeah. Where, I mean, totally unexpected, but right. it's like that training that's been building up. I mean, we yeah. look at it as, as believers as like the Lord was preparing us for what was next. That's right. And I've seen that a lot in my life. But that's really cool that it fed yeah. into your video career. Absolutely. And so we, uh, at the time, I didn't even, honestly, and I told him when I started the job, I was like, look, I've shot photography for five or six years, um, doing a lot of different ads for different towns, uh, sorry, different companies here in Springfield. Um, but like, I never really touched a video camera. And they're like, oh, you'll, you'll, you'll pick it up. Don't worry about it. And so... <laughs> Uh, they just, the Lord's hand was on me, and he, he blessed it, and uh, so I was around a lot of really great guys that were uh, willing to train me, and willing to um, really show me the ropes of the technical side of videography, or cinematography as we actually call it in the professional world, and video production, um, as well as the building of stories. And so, anyways, that kind of... Uh, like I said, catapulted me into a, a whole different platform of opportunity when it comes to this stuff. And so we were shooting um, basically lots of boat lines uh, that Bass Pro and Tracker, which is now White River Marine Group, um, owned. And so we went all over the nation, um, literally East Coast, West Coast, South, um, South Gulf of Mexico, all those comes here, Key West, Michigan, New York, Pennsylvania, Washington, Washington, um, uh, that would be San Juan Islands area, um, Texas, just anywhere you can think that has beautiful lakes on it. We had boats on it. We were shooting that. And so um, basically that was revolved around fishing and revolved around fishing boats and then also revolved around wreck boats and people having fun outside. Yeah. And so um, I did a lot of that, kind of cutting my teeth in the video. And we also at the time had a fishing show. Bass, it's called the Bass Pros TV show. And uh, that's more of a, um, it's not so much a product video, but it's more of a uh, teaching video platform. Okay. And so they teach fishing, honestly. And so it's a very specific, very detailed and uh, I really got trained by really, honestly, the people that kind of pioneered the fishing industry um, of how to, how to teach people through video and tell stories through that as well. And so um, that was like with most of all the, all the top Bass Pro fishing show, sorry, Bass Pro fishing, professional fishing anglers in the world, that's now this Major League Fishing, Bass Masters, um, FLW Tour, 
And so the likes of like Kevin Van Dam, um, Edwin Evers, Tim Horton, Ot Defoe, uh, let's see, try to think of some other guys that we've we do a lot of stuff with. But um, anyways, not trying to name drop or anything, but I'm just saying like the Lord really put me in a place where like he wanted me to learn this stuff, but also he wanted me to impact people. Yeah. And so I think that that, when it comes to like storytelling and things of that nature, it's all about paying attention, especially as a, as a Christian where it's like, okay, this is my job, but who's around me? Like, why am I here? Because I wasn't even qualified to do any of this <laughs> stuff. And so you clearly wanted your gospel and you wanted your presence around people. And so um, I started really trying to tune into that and uh, really, you know, had a lot of great conversations with a lot of pros and just trying to encourage them through the, you know, their times in their life and ups and downs. And they've ran into a lot of Christian brothers as well that are in the, in the pro fishing industry as well. And um, they encourage me a lot in a lot of different areas and things of that nature. But um, really included in the... Uh, Dude, perfect guys, which are also really great Christian men as well. I love the Lord, <clears throat> and Cody does too. Cody used to be a youth pastor in Texas as well, and um, it's just really encouraging to see God kind of work in the midst of all that and within the video and the, the uh, industry in a lot of ways. So, anyways, that's some of the stuff that I've done uh, currently. I'm still shooting the Bass Bros TV show with um, Dave Appleton under Upriver Video Productions. Okay. Also working with a gentleman named Michael Ingemar, who owns Great Outdoor Studios, and we shoot um, like Carhartt fishing team, the Toyota fishing team. Um, we shoot uh, a lot of local stuff here in Springfield as well. And um, anyways, uh, that's the kind of stuff I've been doing currently. And um, I think I've got a fishing show that I'm heading out to Alabama on the end of this month. So that's awesome. Yeah, I know. I've I've heard you reference just telling people stories mm-hmm. and. Um, I, I've seen the work that you've done and it is top notch. And so anybody listening, I would definitely encourage you to go check out some of Tony's stuff. Um, but I know with being in the outdoor industry like that, fishing, hunting, sometime or most of the time as a profession, you've got a camera in your hand instead of a rod and reel or a rifle or a shotgun. So go over kind of what the pros and cons were. Yeah. Uh, as far as I can as... tell you the number one the number one con is is not having a fishing rod <laughs> yeah. or a rifle in your hand being in those beautiful places yeah, in the I mean, most pristine environments for the, the game you're chasing. Just Jones and for it. I mean yeah, with the fishing show typically uh, we have two camera guys and um I'm doing what they call the eye candy shots and so basically I'm doing all the slow mo work, I'm doing all the underwater work, the aerial drone work, um, all the cool stuff that makes makes the show kind of have a, a style and a sense of not just a teaching platform. But, I mean, I'm out, like, in Michigan fishing with Kevin Van Dam, out on a boat with him for five days, and he is catching just giant smallmouth. Or Mark Zona uh, catching giant smallmouth. And I'm just like, Lord, please just let us have a break. Let us just catch one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, just monsters. And, uh, and it's cool. Uh, you know, you get to learn all these techniques, but a lot of times I'm so busy I don't get to fish. I feel like at that point you just need to know what their favorite snacks are, have them handy so that they'll go. stop and, right. and eat for a little bit. Yeah. You'll pick up the reel. So I, you, you sent me a picture yeah. of one of the cooler things that I had seen. You were filming, I believe, a fishing show or even a tournament. And you guys found, 
I, what, was it an antler or a deadhead? Oh, yeah, it's deadhead. Yeah, I was out with uh, Kevin Van Dam doing a TV show, and um, we were out doing drop shot a drop shot show. If you guys that fish that know what drop shots are, um, anyways, doing a drop drop shot show, and I'm not gonna say where it's at. So, but <laughs> anyways, I'm over there scanning scanning the. Um, it's almost like right before morel season. So okay. I'm kind of looking a little bit off the side when I wasn't staring at my viewfinder. Because he was like tying a knot or something, and I already shot like 10 knots. I'm like, okay, I'm going to shoot another knot. So I'm like looking over there on the bank, and uh, all of a sudden I see this white bone just sticking out, and it's a, it's a 10 point. It's, you know, I'd say it's like a 140, okay. 135. Yeah. Not giant. So that might kind of drill down everybody to where we might have been, Morel's time of year. <laughs> 135 class deer. Getting excited about 135s, yeah, that kind of yeah, narrows yeah, the field yeah. a little bit. But uh, anyways, this nice nice deadhead just sitting there. I, we're guessing it's probably wasting disease uh, as far as we can, we can tell. And um, anyways, got, you know, sent in to the authorities, got all that kind of stuff sorted out so we could get, I could keep it. But anyways, Kevin ended up putting it on his front console of his uh, his boat <clears throat> and was driving down the <laughs> driving down the uh, lake with the thing on there. We're taking photos of it and he was just having a blast with it. But yeah, pretty nice deadhead. Pretty nice. I got it in my office still, so it's kind of fun. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, with so you've done a lot of video, obviously for for fishing. And that type of thing with whitetail season kicking yep. off here in two days, yeah, man. which I'm super pumped about. Yeah, you got two days to get it done, too. Oh my, yeah, two yeah. days before Colorado, and then obviously I'll have some more time after that. But Well, just stay out of the high grass because the chiggers are bad right I now. Man, I've been tore up more this year. I had, I had like spots all over my ankles for probably a month the first round i got actually that was the second round the first round got all around my waistline Ooh. in some very uncomfortable places yep. but yep. yeah they've been terrible this year yeah, so, so stay out of the high grass i've been putting that. gators on anytime okay. i go through and then i shed them as soon as i'm out i was like last year when we went and um we were trying that new place on stockton that we were trying out and you didn't get any i don't know how in the world you didn't do it <laughs> but i got tore up <laughs> We this saw one deer, and I got about a thousand chiggers, and it was horrible. This was the first year that I've ever had chiggers. Oh well, there you go. I man, my present to you. Maybe you'll take my chigger bite this year. <laughs> it'll be... don't, don't you put that evil on me? Yeah, no. um, well, why don't you share a little bit about <clears throat> whitetail videography? Yeah. Um, what people can do to get better shots, make them look cleaner, more professional, respect the animal that type of thing, and then obviously success if they're self-filming, yeah. um, trying to get the shot on camera, Yeah, that type of deal. Cool, man. Well, uh, if you're doing self-filming, you know, there is an art to that, and um, honestly, there's a lots of um, really great stuff on YouTube that can kind of help with that a little bit on the technical side. Um, number one thing you want to get is a tree arm. If you can get a muddy tree arm, which if you guys are... Um, self-filming and you're not doing it necessarily professionally but you want to like have something to show for YouTube or just for friends and family or yourself or whatever get a muddy outdoors um, tree arm you're gonna need it and you're gonna use it year-round and while you're in a tree stand yeah and so I actually picked one of those up this year yeah so yeah. I'm gonna put it to use I did I did just kind of an observation set to get comfortable with it familiar <clears throat> with it that way I wasn't clunking around yep that was going to be my next thing. So 
get to know your gear well before you get out in the field, number one thing. So like Dan was saying, uh, you know, do some preparatory measures. So go out and stand, set it up, see kind of where you want to put the, where you want to put the arm exactly for your, your shooting style. Um, how, if you like to stand up and shoot, if you like to sit down and shoot, if you're in a uh, tree sling, if you're in a climber, all those types of things, just go try it out. Take 20 minutes, get used to it, get familiar, and just kind of go through the scenarios of like, okay, I got a deer coming up, what am I going to do? You know? Yeah. And um, I think you'll, you'll find out really quickly that practice will save you a lot because a lot of the guys that do try to do that and then try to self-film either scare the deer off and don't kill anything, or they turn it on and shoot the deer and don't see anything on the film, and they yep. get frustrated. So just practice it and do your best with what you have in, in the moment, and that'll kind of help you out on the practice round. Um, you know, uh, kind of camera-wise, uh, and I'll kind of go briefly on, the, briefly on this kind of stuff because there's a lot of uh, great information out there, and I will reference uh, another podcast. He's a good friend of mine a little later and they have great great tutorials on all that but anyways um camera wise i think dan you have a sony handy cam yeah Sony handy cam it's like 4k yep. pretty small um batteries are decently cheap things of that nature it's got pretty decent audio on it it's got yeah. zoom you know those are great starter places um, a lot of people even use gopros things of that nature and those are great places to start because um, you at least have that wide shot of uh, you in the stand and hopefully you and the animal that you're trying to take yeah. and the, um, hopefully the kill shot or at least you know something of that reference they can see it you know you can experience that um, honestly like I think right now like a Sony A7S 2 or 1 uh, you can get those pretty cheap and I mean cheap like as in a thousand bucks and then a great lens for that is the either 18 or 105 PZ and that's a Pretty cheap lens, I want to say four or five hundred bucks, and that will get you a long way. It's got a wide and a little bit has a little bit of the zoom, and so you can kind of do um, some cutaways and things of that nature when you're doing your shots. And so um, the other bit would be um, your batteries. Make sure you got plenty of batteries and they're charged. If it's during the cold season, um, one thing that I like to do is take a, a hand warmer packet and I wrap them around my batteries and I stick them oh, in the okay. coat pocket because the cold will zap them. And so when you're running out, and depending how long the hunt that you're in um, and how cold it is, you can run through your batteries pretty fast on that. The other part of that equation is audio. And, um, you know, really, if you're doing a self-hunt, like a Rode VideoMic Pro or VideoMic is a great one to put on. It just goes right on top of the camera. Um, you can set it to auto mode, which is really great for beginners, as well as some of us experts when you just need some decent audio on it really quick that you don't have to monitor as well. But a Rode, R-O-D-E, VideoMic Pro is a really great one. And uh, it just goes on your camera and it catches pretty much everything that's around you. Yeah. Um, that's a great, Sennheiser makes great ones as well. But that's a, one, a pretty staple that I keep in my bag at all times. Um, when it comes to like the shots for self-filming, you know, there's, there's uh, a really easy approach that you can do. And when you're self-filming, and you've probably seen some TV shows of self-filmed guys like, um, oh my gosh, who's the guy, the outdoors guy, the um, Survival Man. Is that right, Survival Man? Oh yeah, Survivor Man. Yeah, like some of those shows, they do a really good job of, um, if you can watch some of those, how they approach. And just take notes on that, like how they start off. And so typically they talk about what they're going to do, where they're at, um, what the weather's like, 
right, and what their approach is to the particular thing they're about to do. So if you're doing whitetail hunt, you can say, hey, yeah, it's October or whatever, and uh, we're up in wherever you want to stay is that, whether it's you really want to tell where it's at or not. And then, a thousand miles yeah. the other direction. Uh, then do kind of what the weather temperature is, what the wind's doing, and what you're hoping is going to happen in front of them. And so that kind of builds an idea um, in the in your mind as well as the viewer's mind of like what this story is going to be, that the hope you know the hope is going to happen. Uh, the in between stuff, you know, you want to take a picture, hopefully like a wide shot of like where you're at, so you've got something to cut to. Um, you know, if you've got squirrels or trees or interesting birds or something that happens in the woods, which is um, uh, sounded like I'm going to tone my voice kind of boring, but it is part of the fun too, is being out and just enjoying where you're at and yeah. doing what, what happens while you're there. So if you can take some of that imagery while you're not scaring a deer off, do it. You know, take, you know, 20 shots, you know, just like 10 second clips of that. Um, you may stop in the middle of that before something happens and be like, you know, it's, it's getting time, it's getting shooting time. So I think this deer is going to come up. So you just you're kind of transitioning now into like what's going to be hopefully the apex of the, of the show, so to speak, or, or the story. Um, Maybe talk about the hit list book that you're looking for. Maybe you saw a doe. You talk about it. Like, she's a good doe, but we don't need her right now. We're waiting for we're waiting for, for this deer. You know, and you talk about it a little bit. Yeah. Just whisper into that microphone and talk just directly at the at the camera and just talk about it a little bit. Um, that'll go a little bit. But just always kind of think in your mind, like, you know, you have a beginning and you're going to have an end. And really, you can be super creative on both those ends. Um and make those get those things done as quickly as you can and then worry about the middle part is you can be creative in that too but you want to create space in the middle part because um you really that's kind of the meat of the story a lot of ways um and so trying to come up with maybe there's something you want to say like there's something about the outdoors you know maybe it's a quote or maybe it's a your thought about being out here and man i'm really grateful you know that god allows me to do this type of thing and it gets out you know get away from work and get away from everything get away from the noise and just enjoy the outdoors i know dan's talked a lot about trying to connect people to the lord and i know that like you know um and we're both we're both dads we both have two kids and uh we've got jobs and wives and all sorts of relationships but those you know quality times that we can spend sometimes out in the in the outdoors hunting fishing and, and being alone a little bit with the Lord is good. That's exactly what Jesus did. You know, he took he took time away. And so, anyways, you can talk about that if you want to, if that's the type of story you want to tell. I've heard a quote about that type of deal, like, I'd rather be out in the fishing boat thinking about the Lord than be in church thinking about fishing. <laughs> and that is, that's something, I mean, I feel closer to God out in creation sure. than I do just about anywhere else. And especially when I can get out with friends, yeah. you know. And we can have good conversations, yeah. meaningful conversations. But yeah, I think one of the things for me is exactly what you're talking about, creating meat in the center of it. Yeah. You know, I have a really hard time when I'm out there yeah. thinking about creating and yeah. like building that story. And so that's definitely something that I'm going to work on this year Yeah. because it's really easy for me to flip the camera on once I see an animal. Yeah. But it's all the other stuff that I'm like, I'm seeing it, I'm enjoying it, I'm just not thinking about hitting record. That's right. And so, um, you know, create those those little storylines in the middle and kind of always end it with a positive note if you want. Like, for instance, you you say that thought about Lord and, man, I hope I get one. You know, or, okay, you know, 
it's getting time. You know, so you try to create these little segues, so to speak, um, to the next thing. And you don't want to necessarily close yourself off. And you can, it's okay, you can put a cutaway or something in like that. But anyways, that's kind of the, the kind of transitions you want to build to you till you get to the actual kill shot of the hunting where the thing happens. And so um, typically the self-hunting, um, you know, if you can, as soon as you kind of read where the deer's at, take that hunter's arm, that uh, muddy arm, and kind of swing it to the best place you think is going to, where the thing's going to happen. You know, if you're set up right up on a, a really heavy, heavily used trail and you know that deer's heading that direction, if you can keep them that way, just just point that camera and hope that that's where it's going to be. That's, yep. That is the risk of self-filming, is missing those kind of things when the deer all of a sudden takes a right instead of taking a left, right? Yep. But, um, you know, you can adjust if you need to, but just you got to pick one or the other and just go with it. So let the thing happen, kill the deer, and then, um, you know, if you want to, like with self-filming, typically you come back to camera after that and then talk about your experience. I mean, just let your emotions go. I mean, we all know, like, when we finally get that buck that we've been working really hard for, um, or if it's a first-time hunter and you're getting to share that experience with someone or they're doing their own sharing on a self-film, you know, just... Just talk. Just let it go. Let the yeah. tears happen. Let the yelling happen. Like, don't worry about it. Just be you. Do your thing. And be grateful. And then a good way to end that part is like, all right, I'm going to go get this deer. Yeah. You know? And then um, basically from there, take your camera down. Make sure you're safe. Make sure you got plenty of batteries because typically they all got jitters then. You still got to go harvest a deer like a real hunter, right? Yeah. And so still take all those safety precautions. Ease down, you know, um... And uh, then basically just run out, and if you want to do your blood trail shots and that kind of thing as you're trying to approach the deer, you know, talk about it. Talk about what you're doing to find him. And then you can, um, you know, walk with camera in hand if you want and experience it together if you want with the viewer. Like, here it is, and here I am, and here we are. Um, Or you can set the camera up once you find the deer, uh, whether it's on a tripod or, like, clip it onto a tree if you have a GoPro or things of that nature or that kind of thing and you can kind of set it up where you you come up to the deer and approach the deer and then do that experience as well share it talk about it and then close and then there you go so that's a real typical way to do self-film um i think at the outro part of that i would probably have something to say then too just a closing statement of either being grateful you know like we typically do um, about the animal um and then uh close it and be done so um, with, uh, with all that being said, with kind of the self-filming and stuff, uh, I mentioned a friend of mine named Caleb Copeland, and he runs a company called uh, Copeland Creative, and he's been doing a lot of hunting shows specifically uh, for people like Lee and Tiffany. He did, uh, he worked for a company called Sub7 for a long time. Um, he does uh, several other big-name shows. I'm drawing a blank at this point, but anyways, Copeland Creative... He does a great podcast with a guy named Robert Porter who's out of California. He does a lot of big Western hunting filming. And uh, it's called the Redneck Tech Podcast. Okay. You can look at it on Instagram, check their handle. Uh, but those guys have a great podcast when it comes to, to filming hunting. Whether that's on a self-level or a professional level, they um, have a wealth of experience with all sorts of different clients and situations and things of that nature. And I would definitely recommend you guys, if you're getting into filming, for whitetail hunting specifically or other types of hunting, they do mostly big game. They do some waterfowl. They actually just came out with a really great um, waterfowl show. It's like a four-part series uh, about God life. 
and it's really good. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And um, anyways, Caleb Copeland, Redneck Tech Podcast, and uh, check those guys out. And we talked a little bit before the show about those guys. You said they do classes even. Yeah. So they actually hold a class. I don't know if they do it like, I think they do at least twice a year, for sure once a year. Um, But it's well worth the money. Uh, those guys are awesome to work with. They're not full of themselves at all. Uh, Caleb is extremely capable. I mean, he puts out 50 shows a year. Oh, like, wow. Well, probably, probably, uh, 50 with different clients, of course. But yeah. Like, um, but episodes, I would say, or more, as well as he shoots for, like, uh, Rainbow Bikes is one of his big deals. He was with, uh, um, trying to think of the coffee company that's uh, Black Rifle Coffee Company when they first started off. He was one of their main guys to do their video stuff for them. Um, Mossy Oak stuff. He does a ton of stuff with them. Uh, Game Getters. Uh, anyways, yeah, he does a lot of that stuff. And so Ryer as well does several other shows, I think called The Community Show, a uh, California-based uh, TV show. I think it's like a local station. Okay. Uh, and also web-based stuff. And you can actually find a lot of their stuff on online with their shows. And so those guys are great. They love to teach, and they're great to be around. Real quick, we talked about self-filming. As far as filming for someone, because I know that's something that I've never done. Yeah. I, in fact, I brought my camera out with me opening day of dove season, and I didn't hit record a single time. <laughs> the action, I mean, you were there. The action was pretty consistent, yeah. and the conversations were great. And so the camera became secondhand yeah. but this okay. year i've got two people one of our good friends chris parsons yeah um and then my wife they're both looking at getting their first deer this year right and so we're talking about hanging a double set yep. um in a tree around here yep. and what do you recommend as far as setup sure for that so with the double setup, if you're going to do that with uh, your wife or Chris, um, you know, typically you want to have like a lock-on stand. Even if you have like a ladder stand that they're sitting in, I would still do a lock-on on them. And typically I do whatever shoulder I can, whatever shoulder if they're right-handed shooter, I try to shoot over their shoulder. So that way they can look back and talk a little bit. Yep. Um, you can, uh, you know, really see the animal well. You can see him well. And the other thing that a lot of people don't know is that with, just literally about every hunting show that there ever was, the videographer is the one that calls a shot. He's the one that says, okay, we can shoot now. And so that's kind of your responsibility all of a sudden, which is probably going to be easy for both of you, <laughs> for Chris and for, yeah. and for your wife. And so, um, but that is kind of your responsibility is to say, okay, you can go ahead and shoot this deer. Um, but anyways, I would shoot uh, whatever shot the shoulder on, you would shoot over them. Um, some guys like to sit when they film, uh, but I see that the, mo- the, the professionals, they usually stand. Okay. So adjust your stand based on, um, what your height is and where that muddy arm's going to be. Um, cause you're going to be standing up there a while typically. Yeah. Um, it's really, I think it's better to stand sometimes too, if you can, uh, you can get your blood flow, you know, you're standing up rather than sitting. So you're not as cold during the cold winter seasons. Um, you can move around, you can easily get better B-roll shots when you're able to stand up rather than sitting down because you're not that way. Um, and typically, you know, if you're like in a 16 or 20 foot ladder stand, which I'm not sure how tall your stuff is, um, and how covered you are, you're, you're probably not going to spook them. Yeah. I've, I've seen it more often than not. I'm like, man, I felt like I was going to scare that deer off, but it didn't. 
Yep. And so you just got to be quiet and still keep everything covered and, um, and kind of set up on that area. But I would, I would do that. Um, you could probably still use your shotgun mic that you have. Um, the other thing that I would probably work on um, is making sure that your potential shot lanes, right? So where do you think you're going to shoot this animal at? Bring a handsaw if you don't have one. Because um, typically, you know, when we set up your stands, it's for when we're sitting in the stand. But you also need to think about, okay, now I'm filming in this. What's in my way? Yeah. And so bring that, bring that brush saw with you, a little pocket saw, so you can kind of clear some limbs away and get that, that kind of set up. Um, <clears throat> I would run through the scenario of how you want to ask the questions with, with both people and, and say, hey, I'm going to ask you this. Give them a little bit of time to think about it. Some people are really good at like spouting things off. Some people are really bad at it, and so give them time to think about it, you know, okay. and lead them into that. Um, and so that would be what I would do on that end. And so the yeah, so I think you know, do a little interview with them in the beginning. Talk about it, you know, with Sam's first deer whitetail hunt. And so you know, just talked about her, how what she's thinking, what she's feeling. She's a female, and so. Her approach is probably not going to be something that she's going to really know about. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, you want to ask her how she's feeling, what she's expecting, and uh, take her to the stand. You know? Yeah. And then get her in the stand. You can shoot her climbing up, kind of do that aspect, um, and then getting settled in. And then shoot some B-roll shots of her just in the stand, waiting, looking, glassing, you know, hand on the gun, um, you know, whatever it is, she's looking at a weather app or an Onyx deal or she's trying to read the wind or whatever. That could be for either person with Chris or her. And, um, you know, maybe ask her, like, what do you think? You know, just ask questions so there's some meat in there. Yeah. Um, and then if you can ask them to be aware of, like, what's around them, so whether it's, like, you know, maybe there's something cool that she saw or there's something that she wants to say, and, you know, ask that kind of stuff and talk about that experience if you see a deer that she's not going to shoot. Same kind of concept that we talked about earlier on the cell phone, but you're asking them. And typically that goes best if she's looking back at camera and talking rather than you. So just always keep your eyes on the screen and make sure she's looking dead at camera. Um, some people do talk out of the side of their head, and that's fine. But um, and some people are still scouting, looking around when they talk about the particular thing because they're still hunting. Yeah. So that's okay. Um, I would do that. And then uh, whenever you walk through when the deer actually comes, you know, be on the camera guy's side, on a professional level, usually your professional hunters are like, they typically see the deer before you do, but with these young guys or young people that haven't done it that much, uh, or greenhorns, so to speak, you might want to be on top of that. Yep. And so just always keep a roaming eye of where that deer is supposed to be coming from, listening, things of that nature. And then you can cue them. I mean, on camera, just cue them. Hey, there's one behind us. There's a shooter. You know, just kind of whisper in, lead them in, and, and kind of talk them through where you want to go. Um, because typically they're not going to know much of that. Yeah. You know, and walk them through that. And then you'll talk them through the shot and say, okay, we got them. You ready? Okay, you can shoot. So here's the, here's, here's a, a kind of a difference of opinion in a lot of people. So sometimes um, when it comes to the reaction on after you kill an animal, some people, whether if you're on a professional level, typically they will turn around and talk about or share the experience, whether that is emotionally as they want to be, controlled or not controlled. Uh, some people just um, talk about pretty stone cold. I mean, it just depends on the character that you're talking with and the person, personality. With this one, I'm assuming that Sam will be extremely 
extremely <laughs> exhilarating, and uh, she will be very pumped that she just did this. Yeah. And so just let it happen. If she's just there going, oh my gosh, you know, let her just let her do it. Just yeah. Don't don't ruin the moment for them, especially the first time kills. Don't yeah. ruin it. Just let them. Just let them have. Just let the camera roll, and just enjoy it together. Give them a high five. Give them a hug. Give your wife a kiss. Don't Chris. Don't kiss Chris. <laughs> and um, just enjoy the moment. Enjoy the moment together. And um, that may be just enough for what that needs to be. Oh, yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, then you can also, as well, the other thought is talk about it, ask them questions about how they feel if they don't say anything, because who knows what Chris was going to do. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he might eat a donut. <laughs> he probably will eat a donut. <laughs> eat a donut. Uh, but, and then kind of do the same thing, coming down the stand. Uh, going to get the get the deer, and of course, film them coming up and seeing that deer. If you can get their face, especially if you can see it before them, you know, and try to get their face as they come up and do it uh, best you can, and just kind of shoot loosely and, and and try to capture the moment of it. Just kind of like seeing your kid for the first time, you know. Yeah. Just you just you don't want to ruin it for them. So and then do that. Ask them some questions after, and whatever you want to do to close it, and then that's it. Man, I'm excited. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. That's <clears throat> above and beyond me getting a deer this year. Oh yeah. My number one goal is to get each of them yeah. a deer. And I told them, you know, we're trying to manage for bigger deer on this property mm-hmm. and we're trying to get a good age structure so that we can shoot mature deer. Yeah. But my philosophy is a first time hunter, they can shoot whatever they want as long as it's legal. Yeah. And I just want to build that excitement. Yeah. Like you said, I don't want to ruin that. I yeah. don't want to cut that short. I yeah. just want them to enjoy that moment. And Chris, I mean, he's he's hunted a ton of different stuff. Yeah. But it was a surprise to me when I found out that he had never shot yeah. a whitetail before. And so that quickly went to the top of my priority list. I would guarantee he's going to be excited. Especially, I think he's using his grandfather's, uh, what is that rifle? That's a, uh, it's anyways. A, I think it's a thirty out six, isn't it? Yeah, it's his grandfather's rifle. He's been hunting with his grandfather's Winchester for a long time as well, and so it means a lot to him to yeah. take that. I'm sure, and to take an animal with it. So it'll be something special, I'm sure. Absolutely, and I think one of the really cool things about filming is I've seen it now on multiple TV shows. Now that you have like the shot on film, it can help you and recovery of the animal absolutely because you can see the shot placement you can play it back you can go home blow it up on your tv or on a computer and then you know you know maybe i'm a little far back i need to give that animal some more time or i know it's dead also referencing where you last saw it you know if it's running through the woods and you lose sight of it now you have video evidence of where that last spot is if you do lose blood before you get to that point um I could see that being very beneficial. Absolutely. There's been uh, several times of, of the, the senior videographers that I've talked with, they've absolutely done that uh, for recovery. So that's a, that's a great point. Well, I don't, I mean, honestly, at the same time, I don't think that Sam, according to your report on her shooting, uh, accuracy is going to be a problem. So. I'll, I'll post a video. She outshot me with my own gun <laughs> at a range. Now, I'm going to take credit because I'm the only one who taught her how to shot, so she just learned but didn't pick any up any of my bad habits. Probably so. So that was awesome. But yeah, she shot a three-shot group at 100 yards, and we just kind of did a test run. I told her, you know, sometimes a follow-up shot is needed. Yeah. I 
I've always kind of been a one shot person, not saying like I kill everything with one shot, but once I got out to Colorado and hunted Western big game, everybody was like, if that animal is still standing, put another one in. in." And so I, I walked her through that and said, Hey, you know, we're going to shoot, reload, don't rush it, but do it quickly. Shoot again, do three shots like that. And so I showed her uh, again, with my rifle, we were shooting on a bench in Which an indoor range. Was that? that was a Remington 700, and it was just a 223, okay. um, a, a gun that I used for coyote hunting. Yeah. Um, but that was her one of her favorite guns. And so I, I shot it, three-shot group, and it was a pretty good group. I mean, it was probably three-quarters of an inch to an inch at 100 yards. And she looked at me and said, there's no way I can do that. Mm-hmm. And I said, you can do it. Like... It's all the same fundamentals. You're just doing three in a row. Yeah. And she pulled up and did it. And all three shots were in an area the size of my pinky nail. And I I just couldn't believe it. I've got... I'll, I'll try to post a video as well. Yeah. I took a video of it and then a, a picture once we brought the target back to our table. Nice. But yeah. That was really sweet. Well, man, that's a lot of good information as far as filming. Now I want to get into a little bit about hunting season this year yes, because sir. you just sent me a picture, yeah. what, two days ago? Yeah, two days ago. Of a really good-looking buck. Yeah, man, oh, man. Why so, don't you start off? I'll shut the mic off. You can tell me exactly where that <laughs> picture was. <laughs> no, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I've had that question asked a couple times already. <laughs> Um, I have a good friend of mine named Scott Harrelson. He is a longtime uh, Missouri hunter. He's also a, a very famous horse trainer for Western Pleasure and things of that nature. But um, we started being friends, I want to say he's 62, somewhere around there. He uh, rents from my father-in-law uh, He's a, for the horse farm that he has there. And so my father-in-law has a, a horse trainer that he has at his property and um, Anyways, they we just started becoming friends and started about talking about fishing and hunting. And so he invited me over a couple of years ago. We started turkey hunting together, and finally broke my Missouri uh, turkey hunting streak and finally got got my bird. And then we started hunting together. And so, anyways, he's always sending me deer cam pics because we always try to go out there during archery and then doing rifle for a couple of days. Um, anyways, so I've seen some good deer on the property. Uh, I want to say. There was one buck last year called Hightower, and he was at 155, 160, which is pretty good for this area for Missouri. Like, that's that's a pretty good buck. Yeah. I actually, had, I actually sent the picture over to a friend of mine named Alan Treadwell, who, if any of the listeners are familiar with the, the um, Redhead hunting team from Bass Pro Shops, he is a long-term veteran of hunting. He was on the uh, Olympic, I want to say, shotgun team as well. Oh, wow. And so, anyways, he's an extraordinary hunter. He has several shows still. But anyways, I showed this deer to him because he lives kind of close to this area. And he was like, Tony, this, that deer's a bruiser. A deer, that deer's a bruiser. So this pat, this year we didn't get him. We didn't hear anybody else about killing him or anything else. However, this next deer that I just showed you, I told you we talked about, showed up. And this sucker is all of 165, possibly 170 class deer. He's oh, in development, so, you know, we're probably going to lose two-thirds on him on inches and stuff like that. But he is all of, like, 14 and a half points, 
Jeez. super tall rack. Um, is I would say it's almost non-typical in a lot of ways. Um, and uh, this deer, I told Scott, I was like, dude, don't you tell a soul that you have this deer on your property. Yeah. And sure enough, he posted it on Facebook. And I was like, dude, why did you do that? Because <laughs> you know every redneck out there is going to be looking on his phone yeah. trying to get this deer. And so... Anyways, he had another 10-point show up, too, that's like in a 140, 145. And so he said, if I see him, I can shoot him. But, man, I just have a hard time shooting a big buck like that that's uh, on someone else's property. Like, I want this. I want Scott to get him. Yeah. I know he will freaking have a heart attack. And uh, <laughs> it'll be awesome. But uh, hopefully we get this deer this year because you want to see it. I promise you. We'll post, we'll post some pictures on this deer. He is beauty. He is a Missouri beauty, and he's a big one. That's awesome. Yeah. For those who aren't familiar with Missouri hunting, I mean, there's some world-class whitetail. In fact, I believe the current world record non-typical was a deadhead found in St. Louis County. That's right. I think that's the monarch buck. Yeah. Yeah. The monarch buck. And so if you get into the northern third of the state, you get into monsters. Here in the southern third, it's... It's funny because it's the same with waterfowl. I mean, yeah. we have a really hard time with waterfowl here in the southwest part of the part of the state, but we can go an hour and a half north and yeah. get into birds nonstop. That's right. Same thing with whitetail. Has a lot to do with. Um, there's a lot of genetics that come out of the Iowa Illinois area. Yep. Um, and like making making Missouri, uh, which he said about an hour and a half north of here. Um, a lot of lot of ag, a lot of agriculture, a lot of feed, and those genetics have kind of trickled down from Iowa, which have bruisers in Iowa, mm-hmm. massive bucks. In oh Iowa. yeah, um, and basically that that northern part of the state holds some big deer, and I don't know why they don't come down here as much. Um, I'm assuming because really the agriculture stops at some point before they get down here. It gets too tree and yep. hilly, and that's what's keeping them from down here. But um, there's some big deer up that way. Uh, not quite as crazy as Wisconsin can be, but uh, or Texas, which is you know a different strain for sure. But um, when we were shooting um, the King of Bucks TV show, so if you ever go to Bass Pro Shops and go to the Wonders of Wildlife Museum, they have like a huge deadhead gallery of like all the... It's literally the, those actual deer are their replicas of those deer, said deer, but they're all the world records of like bow kills, rifle kills, muzzleloader kills, white tail, non-typical, um, I think it's elk included, moose included, bear, uh, all that kind of stuff. And so you can kind of see a lot of the, which is interesting when you look at it that way and you see kind of geographically where these deer are and how big these things actually get. Yeah. It's unbelievable. But you, you can see some patterns. You can see some patterns that, that um, for whatever reason, mostly doing to food and genetics, um, those are those deer are. And these aren't, you know, high fence deer or anything. These are in the wild bucks that you and I could go get hopefully one day. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. Well, that monarch bird was, I... Yeah, the monarch bark buck was actually found by, um, I want to say it was by an electrical company worker. And it was, okay. it was tied into a, one of their fences that basically had locked horns with another deer um, and had died like on the other, like the inside, sorry, the inside of one of the electrical units. They okay. Just, they jumped, they had fight, fought, jumped in there somehow, and that's how they found them. Jeez. Yeah. Huge yeah. Buck. You I, seen the monarch, look at that. I don't know what I would do if I saw a buck like that walk through. So Drew and I talked on our most recent podcast yeah. about getting buck fever. Oh, yeah. And 
where do you where do you fall in that? Because Drew, he gets buck fever pretty bad leading up to the shot. Me, yeah. I've always, I don't, I don't know why, I've just been able to stay calm until yeah. that trigger is pulled or the release is let go. Then it all sets in. I'm like, oh my gosh, it just happened, and I get the shakes. Yeah, I would say that it kind of depends on how I'm leading up to the hunt. And so if I'm, like, kind of cold and just jump into the stand and haven't really been thinking about hunting as much, like I just got off of work or got off some long shoot or whatever, um, it can catch me off guard. Yeah. I've done that. Um, but if I'm, like, I'm going hunting, I'm going to take three to four days, I'm going to try to nail this thing down, I think it's a lot better. And so I do feel that anticipation, but I'm able to control it. I think it has a lot to do with, like, leading worship and doing stuff, you know, for thousands of people in front of everybody and just... You learn to calm that down a bit. Yeah. Um, but as a kid, absolutely. Shaking my boots. <laughs> I remember the first first time I drew a, an arrow back at a doe when I was in um, out in the Delta in Mississippi. And it was uh, right before shooting light. I'm sorry, right almost to the end of shooting light, kind of like Dan's first year he talked about. And um, I was 13, I think. I had a PSE Nova bow sit on a five-gallon painted bucket on a, on a tree stand, like a ladder stand, and this big old doe walks up, and I, like, had one of those, like, chest harnesses that go across you, like, back in the 90s. Yep. And I tried it out, and I was pretty sure I could pull my bow back, and I tried it out, so I was like, oh, I can do this. But, dude, I was so shaking in my boots, because she was, like, 10 feet away. I, I literally couldn't pull my bow back. <laughs> oh, man. And I got so mad. I got so mad when she took off and I couldn't shoot. I, like, threw the bow down, kicked the bucket off. My dad thought I'd fallen out of the tree. He came running <laughs> up. It was pretty funny. But, yeah, I, I definitely have had issues of the shakes. <laughs> yeah. See, I've never had a, a lot of the deer that I've shot. Yeah. I mean, either they, they haven't been, like, just crazy monsters. Sure. And I've seen them come in from a long way off. And so I've had time to process it, had time to think about it, calm myself down. And then it's like, once they get within range, now you're just waiting for that possibly half a second window where they turn and they give you that shot. The biggest buck I killed was actually 300 yards behind where we're sitting right now. And that one was, I, I still to this day don't fully understand what happened because I had sat up on this hill a buck that we were after called Big Easy. Oh, yeah. He had been seen a couple weeks before yeah, I remember that picture. up on the hill. Yeah, I and I wanted that buck so bad. I said, you know what? You guys take this river bottom area. I'm going to go sit up behind the house, a place that we had never sat. Don't have any trees that we can hang stands in up there. So I was sitting in a folding chair in probably knee-high grass, 15 feet off the fence line. And I grunted and rattled a little bit before daylight, just blind calling. And then Brad shot a small buck down by the pond. And I got up and said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come down and help you. And I took about 20 steps, maybe. And something inside of me just said, turn around. Whoa. Didn't hear anything. Didn't, I mean, no idea. All I can think is it's a weird predator instinct that yeah. we still have. Yeah. And I turned around, and yeah, that nine point yeah. was 50 yards, quartered to me, walking right at a doe decoy that I had out in the field. Jeez. And I didn't even have time to think about it. So it wasn't like, 
nervous, right. shaking. I was more thinking, what, what do I have to do for this thing not to see me? So I started crouching down, and I realized it was so locked on that dough that it, it didn't even matter. Yeah. So I, I just stuck the scope right on its front shoulder because it was quartered to me and pulled the trigger. And to this day, I, I've never seen anything like it. That deer stood up on its hind legs and ran about 20 yards just on its hind legs, Jeez. dropped down, and I reloaded, and I was going to give it one more, stood back up on its hind legs and tipped over sideways. Yeah, he was full of, he was He was ready to lay some seed, I think. I <laughs> yeah, maybe that's there. why he just was. Oh, yeah, he was locked in. He's ready to go. And we've seen that a couple times. Like, not the rearing up on two legs, but they're just so, you could have been banging a drum, and they would have never looked at you. Yep. Because you're just such an, they've got that scent or whatever it is, they, they think it's going to happen, and they're out of their mind. I mean, every guy can relate to that. Once yeah. you get to that point. Mm-hmm. Where you think it's going to happen, right. nothing else. I mean, nothing else matters. there could be a car crash into your front door. and Yeah, we'll get to it later. Yeah, 100%. Well, man, I really appreciate you hanging out and, and chatting. I'm going to do one more thing that I've been doing on all these podcasts. It's called Unloading the Chamber. If, <laughs> that's fitting right after we just talk about laying yeah, seed, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> anyways, moving on. Is there anything that you want to you wanna say to our listeners that you want to cover that maybe we haven't covered yet? Sure. Um, so uh, a couple things when it comes to the filming side. Spend a lot, spend, I'll reiterate, spend enough time practicing on it, that especially if you're self-filming, that you don't miss out on the moment when you're hunting. Um, because whether it's like self-filming or whether you're a professional that's filming for another hunter, like the technical side of camera, if you're not familiar with it, like all the settings, how long the battery's going to last, if it, how the battery's going to last when it's cold, um, you know, rain, in those type of situations, like the more that you can be prepared that you can do something in like 10 seconds rather than taking 30 minutes and wasting and being frustrated, practice. Just, just get to know your camera. Go online, YouTube it, look it up, make sure, ask questions, like ask your buddies questions. That way, um, you cannot honestly kind of lose yourself in the camera side of things and, and miss out on the hunt. Yeah. Um, I've seen a lot of guys do that and get really frustrated. The same as on a professional level. You know, your job is not to um, to just have a bunch of camera gear and look cool. Like, your job is to tell a story. Your job is to be clued in uh, to your hunter, clued in to what's going on, uh, leading that hunter in the next conversation, thinking ahead of time and not worried about your camera gear. Yeah. And so, spend time doing that. Um, last thing I would say is, you know, be grateful. Be grateful that you guys uh, hopefully get to get out this year and do some hunting with some friends or by yourself and spend time with the Lord or with maybe it's your son or your daughter or your wife. And um, be grateful that you get to do that because uh, not every place we can go, not every country or even state nowadays you can do that. Um, and so... Um, you know, vote accordingly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, be grateful for what you get to do and and um, really be present in that moment. And um, don't let don't let stuff bother you. I've been reading a great book called The... Oh, man, I'm just going to do this. I always do it every time. The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And so I would... Uh, I would say this definitely pertains to hunting and spending time in the outdoors is, uh, is not hurrying. 
And so I would look up that book in front of you guys, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. There's some great points based on Jesus and the way his approach was to life. Um, and what, you know, our life here in this world is so busy. So, so busy. So slow down. Maybe get some experts out of that book and uh, go out in the woods and enjoy yourself. That's awesome, man. I'll, uh, I'll say along the lines of practicing with your equipment, I was watching videos on on doing cinematography and photography from a tree stand and one of the tips that they gave was actually take a stand and your camera arm and go set it up even if it's at the base of a tree typically there's not limbs down that low and so it's easy you can just hang it six inches off the ground and then figure out the camera position that you want and just practice filming your dog running through the yard or cars driving down the street and and get comfortable with that because yeah once you get up in your tree stand in the dark it's better to know exactly how high you want that camera arm mounted and that type of thing and so yeah i like your be grateful take it's definitely something that we could lose at any moment and we hope and we vote and we pray against that yeah but uh but yeah it's a privilege for sure we love doing it, and thanks again, man. Yeah, brother. I always you. enjoy hanging out, sitting down, chatting. And that is where we're going to wrap this episode up for today. I appreciate you all hanging out, listening. Tony and I definitely had a good time talking, and I was very grateful to him for the tips and tricks he gave me about being a better filmmaker and storyteller. I will be putting them to use out in the woods this fall, as I hope you do as well. And so if you want to check out any more of Tony's work, you can follow him at Khalil Media on Instagram, K-A-L-I-L Media, and then also on KhalilMedia.com. If you want to see his stuff, if you want to see the actual content that he produces, it is amazing. So go check him out there. And until next time, always choose adventure. God bless and have a great week.